For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over, king, and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of his hosts will do this. Good morning, church. It is good to be with you again. Um, I say this every time, every single time I say this, but it, gets, it feels like it gets truer and truer. Uh, I can't wait to see you again. Uh, I can't wait to worship with you again. This, uh, this period of time has really um, revealed to me uh, more and more how much I love you, how much I love worshiping with you, how important that is. And, and I, I believe strongly that one of the good things that's going to come of this is that we all get a renewed love for our church family and a renewed love for worshiping together. Uh, and I pray that's true of you. I pray that's true of me. Um, we're going to talk about government today. Uh, is has there been a time where the uh, the government has had a bigger influence on the things that we do, the places we go? Um, I don't think so. Not in my lifetime. Um, and it's it's affected us in really uh, powerful ways, really deep ways. Um, and the government is just, I, I believe, doing doing the best they can. Um, like all governments throughout history, they're going to make good decisions. They're going to make bad decisions. Um, they're going to, there's going to be good things that come from uh, laws, and there are going to be bad things that come from laws. And I'm just grateful that our citizenship is in heaven first and foremost. And this passage of Isaiah that we started last week is about bad government and good government. And as we saw last week, we saw bad government. We saw King Ahaz, king of Judah. You remember this? King Ahaz was fearful. He was shaking like a tree in the wind, Isaiah says. And he was shaking because his enemies were coming to get him. And Isaiah comes, and you remember the story. Isaiah tells King Ahaz, trust in God. Everything's going to be okay. Did Ahaz do that? Did the government of Judah do that? Did Ahaz lead his nation towards prosperity in God? No, he didn't. It's bad government. He led Israel to not trust God, to reject God's promises, and he led Israel to trust Assyria. And we saw last week that when we trust worldly things over God, what happens? Destruction. Destruction. That bad government led Israel, led, led Judah rather to destruction. And Isaiah, Isaiah says that any person or or nation that rejects God is going to head toward destruction. And we know that and we see that. And this is deserved destruction. And so we saw the people of Judah being led down this path away from God toward destruction. And, and Isaiah calls them being thrust into deep darkness and being in gloom and anguish. Do you feel that? Have you ever felt gloom and anguish? The people were hungry. They were scared. 
then we have this beautiful word. So we have this people of God heading toward destruction. And then God's word introduces this beautiful word. Every time you see this word, it is so beautiful in scripture. We have the word, but. And everything changes. This is what that king was leading you to. That's what that bad king was doing. It's what that bad government was doing. But everything changes. But even in the sight of Judah's rejection of God and the consequences of this rejection, there is a transformation from defeat and disaster and destruction to the triumph of God's unmerited grace. And we get a a bad king and a bad government, and we get gloom, and we get now glory, and we get darkness, but now there's light, and we get anguish, but now there's joy, and we get oppression under that king and under that government, but now we have freedom, and we have had suffering then, but now we have suffering becoming fuel for our good. Do you see that incredible transformation? And we ended with all those good things that were coming, and we know that Jesus brings them. And our question is, and the the question of the readers of Isaiah needed to be, who, how is this transformation possible? How can we go from doom and gloom of anguish to in the light and ever-increasing joy? and victory. What brings this transformation? In Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, a passage that you uh, very well could be familiar with, and I'm sure you've heard at Christmas time. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 tells us this transformation from King Ahaz and a broken government and a broken nation This transition into a new world comes from a new government and a new king. And this king that is coming is unlike any king who's ever lived. And his government is unlike any government that has ever existed or will ever exist in the future. He's going to change everything. This king is not just going to sit on a throne. That's not when he becomes a king. This king starts out as a child. He starts out like this. What's bringing this transformation from bad king to good king, from bad government to good government, from bad world to new good world? For unto us a child is born. Child is born. There's a, a child is going to be the one that ushers in this new government? A child. Isn't that bizarre? What a really odd thing. There's there's no vote for this new king. There's no no peaceful transition of power. There's no rebellion. There's no revolt. What happens, what brings this new government into play is this baby is born. That's the event. The governmental change begins with his birth. His birth. Mere presence brings this all to be. His 
His mere presence on earth is what ushers in light. His mere presence on earth is what transitions us from anguish to joy. His mere presence is what ushers in freedom from past oppression. His mere presence. How can that be? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Because this child... His mere presence can bring such change because this child is no mere child. And he is no mere son. He is the son of the Most High God. The son is given. You see, the mere act of Jesus, God the Son, being born, that mere act of the Son being given by God the Father, is the act that changes everything. So his mere presence changes everything. The God who would give his only son for the good of broken sinners and for the good of a broken nation and a broken people, that mere act of God is a triumph of grace that we have never seen before. That mere act that God the Father has given something infinitely precious like His Son is just unleashes all these things upon the world. Because as Paul says in Romans 8.32, He, the Father who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Jesus graciously give us all things? What is He saying? He's saying, if we understand that this child, this new king who's ushering in the new government, if this child is so precious that he's the precious son of God, and God the Father gives him freely to us, what would he withhold from us? He's already given us everything. There's nothing more precious than Jesus. There's nothing that God the Father has that is more precious than Jesus. So Christian... What won't God give us? He's already given us everything in Jesus. What more will he withhold from us? So we shouldn't be surprised to see that the the mere presence of the child ushers in all these other good things because it's the child that is the ultimate gift. So of course, in the wake of this little baby, the ripple effects are transformative for the whole world. Because the baby is the precious one. A child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. The government will be upon his shoulders. Now, we need to, when we study the Bible, try to study it in chunks. Okay? If you remember last week, we talked about shoulders last week. Do you remember this? We talked about under King Ahaz, under that government, we talked about shoulders. And we talked about how the rod and the staff of the oppressors was on our shoulders. We talked about we have a burden from our oppressors on our shoulders. That is what happens under any other government. Under any other government, there is oppression. 
There's oppression. Just we are broken people. We have broken governments. We have we are sinful people led by sinful governments. We led by sinful kings and sinful presidents and sinful queens. So there will be oppression no matter what. And so Isaiah laments that under the other kings and other governments there is a, a uh, there's oppression. But he says, but this new king is going to come. And those, that, that rod and that staff that are so heavy on our shoulders, he's going to break. And not only will he break the, that rod, not only will he break our oppression, but the government will be upon his shoulders. Do you get that picture? So he will, whatever's on your soul, shoulders, Christian, whatever, you, whatever burdens you're carrying, whatever oppression that you have, and governments might oppress, but guess what? The worst oppression that you have is the oppression of sin and death and hell that is crushing you, whether you know it or not. It is crushing you spiritually. And so the picture is that our new king is going to lift the burdens off of your shoulders, and he is going to place on himself the burden of governing the nations and governing you and leading you and providing for you. He puts it on his shoulders. Jesus takes the government upon his shoulders. Jesus' rule is not a democracy. Jesus' rule is not a republic. It's not an oligarchy. How many can I remember from sixth grade social studies, right? All these governments. It's not any of those. Jesus' governing is absolute monarchy. Remember this? Absolute monarchy. The king is there. His, his will is the law. The government is upon his shoulders. He's in charge. He's in charge. Now, that might jostle our hearts a little bit, as, as Americans, as free people, that might jostle our hearts to hear absolute monarchy that I don't get a say. My, my sinful nature says, man, I want a say in how my life is ruled and, and what comes. I'm going to tell you, Isaiah tells us, um, why it is a good thing that Christians live under Jesus' absolute monarchy. I'm going to tell you why that's a good thing. He says, these shall be his names. This will be the names. These will be the names of our king. Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Under His government, under King Jesus, His people will flourish because His wisdom always brings the most good that is possible. Isn't that amazing? Jesus' wisdom is so great, every decision he makes for his people will bring about as much good as is possible. How awesome is our King. Jesus knows everything. He knows what's going to happen in the future. He knows what is happening between your ears right now. He knows what's happening in your heart. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows how many days He has decreed for you to live. And He knows how to take all of that information and to decree laws that will bring you as much good as is possible. How awesome is that? 
And so when we want run through suffering times, dark days, when we go through pandemics, we know that our king is on the throne and he is wise in this way. And he would not allow anything to happen for us unless it is for our eternal good. And he is wise and he could bring it about. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you let that truth bolster your heart in the midst of suffering? That's there for us. What a king we serve. So Jesus doesn't have to guess what is best for you. He doesn't have to try his best like our government has to do. He knows what's best. And he does it and he accomplishes it. And instead of hoarding all this knowledge that he has, he has decided to become your king. Scratch that. Instead of hoarding this knowledge, he has decided to let you be his citizen. Do you get that? And what does this mean? This means one thing. He doesn't need my help. And he doesn't need your help. Don't we live our life like that sometimes, Christian? That we feel like we need, to, we need to let God know exactly what's going on in our life because we need to tell him exactly how we want him to act in our life. And I, get in all, I, get, I throw a hissy fit when, when that doesn't happen, like God has missed something, and, and I try to sit in the throne of my life. Do you do, you do that too? He doesn't need my counsel. He's a wonderful counselor. He's got the wisdom. He's got the wisdom. Romans eleven thirty three says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of our Lord or who has been his counselor? Who counsels God? Nobody. What a sinful place I put myself when I try to counsel God. When I try to tell Him what's best. He knows. He knows what's best. Just as I don't counsel, I don't ask my three-year-old for counsel when I'm doing my taxes. She doesn't know. She's starting to have a concept of money. But she just likes the, the little coins, right? She just loves collecting those little coins. She doesn't know how much value it, they have. She doesn't know what the government is. She doesn't know taxes. In that same way, in that same way, you and I have no concept of the millions of things God is doing in our lives every single moment. We have no concept of the millions of things God is arranging in our world for the good of His church, for the good of His people, and for the glory of His name. We, we can't comprehend that. In a snap of His finger, in a moment of His will, God allowed a virus to shut down the whole world. And we look at it and we are trying to desperately find reason behind this. Well, my friends, there's not one reason. There are billions of reasons for this. And he has promised in all things, he works out for the counsel of his will. 
works out to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11. All things, nothing is beyond his will, nothing is outside his counsel. And so even something that shuts down the whole world like this, God is using for the good of his church. Well, preacher, we're not meeting right now. How can it be for the good of his, of his church? God does everything for the good of his church. My friends, understand that. We don't have a weak king. We don't have a dim king. He has promised us everything that happens is for the good of his church and for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. Sure, we don't, of course we don't know exactly how that's going to work out. But it is. It is. And we might not see it until my children are leaders in the church or your children or grandchildren are leaders in the church. Maybe that's what this event is setting us up for. Maybe it's going to make us stronger out of this and we're only going to see the good of it when I'm an old man watching my girls and my son be leaders of a church. Please, God. All things are working out by the counsel of His will. And the amazing thing is God brings Jesus brings his knowledge and his, his wisdom. And Psalm 73, 24 says, He leads us by his counsel. He takes all this knowledge, all this wisdom, and he offers it to you. Wow. This wonderful counselor, this king, has come and he is offering to counsel you in your life. He's offering to counsel you and usher you into eternity with Him. Is there anything more valuable than the Creator and Sustainer of the universe all-knowing? Is there anything more valuable that He offers you His counsel? No, there's nothing more valuable than that. How do I get that? Well, pray for it. God says He gives wisdom to those who ask. Read about the counsel of His will. Read about it. This child who's bringing this new government, this new king, born to us as a child. He is a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. Mighty God. This Jesus, this child who's ushering in with His mere presence, a new government, the, this son is not just a man. He is God in flesh. He's coming. He's, he is mighty God. This goes along with countless other pieces of Scripture. John 1.1, 1, 1, talking about Jesus, calling Him the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hebrews 1, 2 through 3. But in these last days, He, God, has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. He's the heir of everything. He's the King. He's getting it all. Through Him also He created the world. He is, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And Jesus, He upholds the universe by the Word. His power. Wow, exact imprint of His nature. Holds up the world by the word of His power. That's God. Only God can do that. Colossians 2.9 This baby who has come to usher in the new government, in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
He's a wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. And of course, if he's God, he's going to be mighty. The idea is he's a mighty warrior. He is unstoppable. He's unstoppable. It's not God. It's not, it's not Jesus and Satan playing chess to try to work out what's going to happen. Satan cannot stop Jesus. Everything Satan does, he has to beg permission. Satan is defeated. He is dead and he doesn't know it yet. Are you with me? Isn't that great news? Our king is a mighty warrior and he loves us and he is providing all things for us. What must we fear? Nothing. We don't need to fear anything. He is so mighty. He's so mighty. And like we saw last week, He's so mighty that He turns every evil act to our good and His glory. That's how mighty He is. How would you like Jesus to be our president? Do you vote for Him? How would you like our president to be God, to be mighty God, be unstoppable? Well, Christian, this is what he offers. He offers even better than that. Not a four-year term, not an eight-year term. He offers to be your king forever. God in flesh, mighty God. Is there anything more valuable than Jesus declaring himself king over your life? No, nothing more valuable than that. He is everlasting father. Now, Jesus is not God the Father, He is God the Son, but Jesus, God the Son, has roles as an earthly father would. Let me show you what I mean. He's an everlasting Father. Jesus, in His governance over us, governs like a good earthly father. Now, we have to be careful. Every time we talk about Jesus and God being our Father, we need to make sure we understand He is a good Father, because some of us have not had good fathers. So the thought of hearing that God is our Father, we don't, that doesn't register. Or it's a negative thing. No, Jesus is a good Father. He governs us like a good Father. And this good Father has brought forth children by dying on the cross. This Father has laid down His life to bring children into the spiritual world, into eternity with Him, rather. It says this in Isaiah 53.10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him, Jesus, to crush Him. He has put Him to grief. When His soul makes an offering for guilt on the cross, He shall see His offspring. He shall prolong His days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Did you see that? When he dies on the cross, he shall see his offspring. He's a good father who's laid down his life for his children. Jesus says this in John 14, 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. What a comforting thing to hear. You feel like an orphan sometimes in the world? 
And sometimes we're, we're tempted by, situ, by the situation and by our flesh, by our feelings to feel like God has abandoned us. Jesus says, I will never leave you as orphans. We can believe him. He died on the cross to bring us about as his children. He would never leave us. What would make him leave us? He's already done the most tremendously terrible thing that could ever happen to him. He already did that. He will never leave us. He offers fatherly concern, fatherly love, fatherly discipline. Having Jesus govern our eternity as a loving father is the most valuable thing we can imagine. Is there anything more valuable than that? He is the prince of peace. We saw last week King Ahaz brought war, brought destruction, brought hunger, brought oppression, Jesus' government brings peace. Jesus' government will bring an end to all hostility in the universe. And Isaiah makes this point in Isaiah 11, 6-9. It's a hilarious image. My, my girls love this image. They think it's so funny. Jesus ushers in, will usher in ultimately, peace in all the universe. There will be no hostility anywhere. And he, Isaiah sketches this out like this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young, the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And the, a little child shall lead them. An amazing image. Now these things that, that, that devour each other, even those low on the totem pole, even animals will cease being hostile toward one another. And the point is, if they cease it, what will mankind do? Let me no more war. Let me no more fighting. Let me no more fighting. Jesus' government will also bring us peace with God. That's the most important part. So Scripture says that as sinners, we are self-declared enemies of God. We have rebelled and revolted against our governor, God against our king, God. That's what we do in our sin. Every time we sin, we declare that God is not king. That's bad news. If, you want to, there, if there's one king you don't want to re rebel against, it is the one that created the universe and could do all things. And yet Jesus died on the cross. And Scripture says He died on the cross and one, one thing that He accomplished for us was He brought us peace with God. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified, we've been declared righteous, no more, sinner, no more sinners, we've been de not declared sinners, we've been declared, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's brought us peace with God. We don't have to go where traitors go. Traitors go into the outer darkness. Traitors go into the hell where the fire will never be quenched. Traders go where there's nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth. Traders go there. We don't go there. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, church. Jesus' government will bring us peace within the church. They'll bring us peace within the church. Ephesians 2, 14-16, written to a church, says this, For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Isn't that amazing? 
Church, what's some, one of the most tragic things about disunity or, or anger or hatred in church? It shows that we are not totally devoted to our Prince of Peace. Because Jesus has brought together Jew and Gentile. That's the point of, of Ephesians. You got Jewish Christians, you got Gentile Christians, and they're supposed to hate each other. And sometimes that comes out. And sometimes they argue and they fight and there's bitterness in church. And Paul says, no, 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 you got it wrong. Jesus came and he's the Prince of Peace and he has come to destroy any hostility between you, church. And in fact, that is the beautiful thing about the church. That is what will declare to the world that we are different. It says, Jesus says, you, they will know if you are my disciples by your what? Love for one another. See where you got, you got people fighting all in the world. You got people uh, just slandering each other. You got gossip, you got hatred, you got war, you got all these things happening. And the church is a miracle because you have people who hate each other outside these walls and now they love each other. They love each other. Yeah, they disagree, but they disagree in a different way. They're committed to each other. Why? Because our Prince of Peace has broken down the wall of hostility. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the king I want. That is a government I want. That's better than Ahaz. That's better than the kingdom of Judah. That's the kingdom of heaven. And finally, what, what mechanism will bring this about? What mechanism will guarantee the triumph of God's grace? What mechanism will make sure that I am in the light? What mechanism will help me live under His rule? What mechanism will be there to, to assure that I will have peace for eternity? Why is this going to happen? What brings God's grace through God's Son, through His government? Why is this happening? Is it our righteousness? Is that the mechanism? That if I live a good enough life, then I'll just be accepted into the kingdom of God? Doing good things? Tithing to the church, being kind person, being nice, voting for the right people, doing the right things, going to the right church. Are these the things that earn, earn me a spot? No. In fact, Isaiah is going to tell us later that the best thing that we have to offer God is like stinking, filthy rags to Him. Best sermon I ever preach. The righteous is a righteous equivalent of a filthy, stinking, dirty rag. No, it's not righteousness. What does he end on? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isn't that amazing? It has nothing to do with you. Isn't that freeing? It has everything to do with Him. We don't earn this. We don't earn this. We don't make the right decisions to do it. We don't do anything. We trust. And it's the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will get it accomplished. The idea is passion. The idea is jealousy. Now we think, when we hear jealousy, we think jealousy is always a bad thing and, and it's a pettiness and all those things. No, take all those connotations away. There, there, is, there is holy jealousy. One example. One good example. 
If your wife cheats on you and you don't feel anger and jealous, there's a big problem. There's a big problem. You should feel that way. Why? Because you two have come together and made commitments to each other and you're better together. And that's been broken apart. That's good jealousy. That's righteous jealousy. That should happen. We're not talking about pettiness. We're not talking about a, a, the TV show where the, the, they're at a party and the girlfriend goes and talks to another guy and the guy flips out and punches somebody. Yeah, that's petty jealousy. That's bad. We're talking about deep relationships that God wants to, wants to care for. And the images, I mean, the book of Hosea is all about this, about God's holy jealousy for His people. That He loves them, that He's passionate for them, that He wants their best and their best is found in Him. And so we have all these images that the, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Christian, this all will happen because God loves you passionately. And He is passionate for you. He's passionate for His glory. And God gets tremendous glory taking sinners who were his enemy and making them children of his through Jesus. Isn't that good news? All these amazing blessings will happen for you, Christian, because God is passionately, rightly, jealously, and lovingly for your eternal good. And your eternal good is found with him. And your eternal good with Him has been bought with the blood of the child who's among us, who's the Son who was given. The government is upon His shoulders. He is called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Who will do this? Who will make sure? How will this happen? What if I blow it? What if I, what if I sin? What if, what if I'm not smart enough, good enough? What if I don't find the right church? What if all these things? What if, what if, what if? No, it's not about you. It will be accomplished because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Isn't that freeing? They'll do it, Christian. It'll be accomplished because God is zealous for you and He's zealous for His glory. Isn't that good news? Well, we love you. We love you. We miss you. Uh, we're praying for you uh, through this difficult time and this time that we're apart. Um, know that wherever you are, Christian, whatever you're experiencing, whatever citizenship you hold, your ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And your ultimate king is Jesus. No matter what decisions are being made around you, He's in charge. He's on His throne. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Trust Him. We love you, and we'll see you next time.